Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Jay. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast, the only podcast of interdimensional exploration and adventure. This week we're going to be talking specifically to John Ryer, who had a play test of his upcoming session at a convention, and he got a lot of feedback, and he wanted to share that with us. So, John, Mm -hmm. what did they have to say? The adventure I ran is called In the Bass of Londinium. It's the uh, first contact scenario with the uh, Pax Romana on uh, minus 2-6, I believe. Basically, I had written a caper adventure, and the players turned the diplomacy adventure. So this was supposed to be a, a search and retrieval type mission. Yeah. Yeah, basically they had item taken from them that they wanted to get back, and they had to deal with all the various you know things. But one of the observations was the fact that there was just so much information that he had to, he had to keep in his head about for a one-to-one-shot game. It was very hard. Now, he said if this was, an opening, it was the opening scenario for, for a campaign, it was perfect. If you, if you knew he'd be coming back next week, he would have done certain things. But because it's a one-shot, or as a con game, his complaint was that he needed to know a lot about how IJET worked, how Unita worked. Yeah, a lot of information that, well, wasn't there. I had set the game... Uh, within the first contact period, which is like two years, I believe. Mm-hmm. This first contact for the Romans, so it's set in that time period. Right. And uh, in that time period, there wouldn't be a whole lot of first contact procedures. They'd still be working it out. I mean, these first contacts that they're making will write the manual. So, of course, there isn't going to be a lot of, here's what you do when you, when you, when you encounter a situation. You're basically going to be writing it yourself. You know, you're writing the manual, and that makes sense in terms of a campaign where you, where your players get help help write the manual and determine how first contact's going to work. But in a con game or in a one shot, it doesn't quite work because you expect there would be some sort of protocol in place. Well, also, you're already expecting them to understand yeah. a game system they may not be familiar with, a game itself whose premise they've never heard of before in a lot of cases, and then you're turning around and saying, oh, and by the way, you're supposed to be a world-class diplomat so that the entire world will be willing to trade and engage in future contact with us. Go! This is a one-shot, and the things that the people do, if it's funny and cool, can be kept, but if, if it's not, it doesn't need to be binding on the rest of your game world. No. So you don't have to load them up with so much information so that they're doing everything right, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a one-shot thing. So just say, you're, you're supposed to be the good guys. Go. This is both going to be a con game. It's also going to be part of one of the campaign games in the Savage Worlds book. This game actually is kind of trying to be both at the same time. As a con game, you need a definite 
plot the run through because you only have four hours. Maybe you might get two four hour sessions so you can do a part two parter. But no matter how you're looking at it, though, even off two four hour sessions, each session has to stand on their own. You may not get the same people back. I'm using Savage Worlds, which is a fairly easy system to learn, but there are some people out there who have a hard, even then, have a hard time learning it. So uh, yeah, I, I've I've learned how to run Savage Worlds and other con games with other games, you know, to to good effect. There's unfamiliar with a new system. Uh, there's unfamiliar with Fringeworthy. Uh, so I have to assume that one, I need to somehow impart what the players need to know to operate. Basically, Fringeworthy in 200 words or less. I only got four hours, and I want to spend half of that explaining to them what they need to know to play the game. Yeah, if there's too much backstory in a game that you're going to dump on them, it, it might turn some people off. They may be like, wow, this is really involved for something I'm only going to be in once for four hours. Yeah. You've got to give them the Reader's Digest version, as it were. You have to give them more than that. You have to give them the lead into the story, you know, the six o'clock news version. I just ran uh, my uh, Savage Worlds Fringeworthy Adventure. I had pretty good success with it. And uh, I think one of the things that I did, which are what's touching on what you're talking about now, John, is that when I explained Fringeworthy portion of the background, I basically, and I'm sorry, Richard, I basically said, imagine Stargate meets Sliders. Uh, uh, that's, yeah. That's you go through, you go. Yeah, you go through a portal and you go to other dimensions. And then I said, and then I gave him just a really super quick rundown of what platforms and and pathways were. And I didn't get into any dimensions. I didn't get into anything crazy. I just said, it's just a network. You you step out to the portal, there's a platform, and these platforms have networks where you can go down these, these pathways to other platforms and they lead to other worlds. And then I said, and each portal has its own world that it's designated to. And then that was that was pretty much my backstory on how the, the pathways and portals and all that worked. And then I just said that, you know, on Earth, everybody knows uh, that the French portals exist. And you're an exploration team and you're going to investigate and there's no prime directive. So sometimes you get involved and do good deeds. Yeah. And that's all they need to know. Yeah. Uh, 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 Jade has actually posted a, a great little thing, except that it doesn't cover things like, oh, and by the way, you have a crystal key. And you have crystal key powers. And that's one thing, you know, uh, we, we circus glossed over sometimes in other, in, in, in other versions, but in Savage Worlds, your, your powers you can use are right there in your character sheet. So that's actually an extra bit of information you need to know how to use them. Is that necessary for the game that you're running, for the players to use that key power at a certain point? Yes. They basically have a key. In the game, I tell them that actually there's at this point in time in two years there are three keys. They have one of them. Don't lose it. Well, you know you can you can do that, but you can keep it simple. You you don't have to go into like you don't have to go into the powers because they don't need the powers, right? No, they only need no two powers. Locate portal, find Fringeworthy. That's it. All right, but they, they don't even need that for the adventure, do they? One of them, yes. Now, could, I, I'm not going to say which one though. Sorry, I'm not going to say which one. Is it is it something that you could bring up when it happens? Isn't that a power that you could bring up when it becomes important? Like you don't have to give it to them all at one time. Yeah. Because if, if you feed them all that information and then you say, oh, and there's these crystals and they have abilities and you, and you just keep going on with more and more information, they get yeah, sensory what, overload. What I'm thinking is instead of a, a data dump, do a show, don't tell. Have them do like micro scenarios right in front of it, like little tiny encounter things. That show them what the pieces are they're working with, and then send them through the portal. Oh, 
Well, no, the thing is, unfortunately, the way this one starts, and I'm using the favorite term I learned, for, I got from Bruce, it starts in media res. Yeah. They're, they're already on the world, and the, the bad thing has happened. Mm. I'm trying to start a scenario that if I try to start at the beginning, that as they step onto the world, would never may never actually happen. So I'm trying to put okay. them in, into a situation where it's happened, now they got to deal with it. Okay, then I guess they need Lieutenant Redshirt to be plot exposition guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's an assistant and a, and a guy who carries stuff for them who says, oh no, the MacGuffin's over that way. If he gets it there, it will be doom. Uh, all right. Since only one person needs to use the crystal, John, I would have just put a sheet describing the two crystal functions that the crystal does. And I just would have put it as part of his character sheet. And if he didn't look at it, or she didn't look at it, by the time you got to the uh, first break, because you know you're going to have breaks in a game session, at, during the break I'd say, and you might want to look at that sheet about crystal powers. Or when that comes up, when, when that mm-hmm. becomes important to the adventure, you could look at the person and say, oh, by the way, check out the section on crystal powers real quick before we move on to this next step. Yeah. I'd want to do it ahead of time. I don't want to do it right at the beginning, so I'd put this thing in with the character sheet so they would kind of look at it and go past it to the more interesting stuff, like what the actual character sheet says. And then when the first break comes up, I'd say, hey, you might want to check that out. And then when the time comes, when they're supposed to be using it and they're still not using it, that's when I would give them a knowing look and take my finger and slowly put my finger on the sheet and take it away and then turn and do something with somebody else uh, long enough for them to read the sheet and say, oh, yeah, I should be doing this. It's actually Team Leader's character description, how they were found to be fringeworthy. So it's actually right there in their sheet telling them what, what, what they need to know. But there's some showmanship involved in running a game and running a demo. And I'm just saying is that little dramatic pauses and looks and pointing at stuff can, can basically focus them in like a laser beam on what they should be doing without basically hitting them with a plot hammer. Oh, yeah. There's always a little bit of razzle-dazzle involved in GMing. Yeah. When I created the, the, the pre-gen characters for the scenario, I did try to at least give them all information about you know how they were found to be fringe so, so they all had this idea of Okay, if, you, if they read their character sheet, they would have a better idea of what, what to, to find them. So hopefully if they read their character background, they'll find out, they'll get some hints. But uh, I have to be honest, the people might, when, we, when I ran this game, uh, no one read their character sheet. So, I'm, You know, I'm really surprised because in my demos, my th- I ran three of them. Everybody read their character sheets, and they were totally got into the, the character backgrounds. At least at a con, I should have some more time. Uh, to have them read read the characters, read a sheet, and, and have a clue. Uh, I, I've actually been pretty good at actually dropping clues on people without them knowing I've been dropping clues on them, and then it's like, bing! Oh, that was a clue you gave us. So how how long did your session go? How long did you did you get it into four hours? No, because we did start late. It actually only we only ran for about not quite three hours. Do you think you could do it in four? Oh yeah. We, okay. We finished it. We finished it, but I had yeah, I had to do some skipping. You know, skip a bit here, brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. But I figured I could I could easily actually pad it out a bit more. But like I said, when I created, I actually created with a specific idea for having a, a caper happen. The trouble is, the caper didn't happen. They went in a totally different direction. Players will do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to think on your feet with them. Oh, I did, but I did uh, point out. But I did point out something I didn't think about when I created the scenario in the first place that that there is two ways of solving this situation. You can do the caper, or you can go diplomacy. Cool. Would it be possible for you to start the story in media res, 
and then drop the information they need to know in smaller bits as they go. I could try. I'm thinking of using a, tr- a trick that actually uh, one, of, uh, one of our GMs of our Thursday Night Games pulled, uh, a variation of it. I have an hourglass that runs for 30 minutes. I'm thinking when the game starts, I'm going to take the hourglass and clunk it down and let it start running down. And there's nothing like seeing time run out in front of you that causes you to focus really hard on the scenario. <laughs> a GM, whose game I used to play in, what he did was he'd print out uh, little graphics of items mm-hmm. and then paste those on a 3 by 5 card and write down notes on what the object was. And then he'd hand the 3 by 5 card out when a character got a uh, item. So we just put the uh, 3 by 5 card with our character sheets. And I'm thinking, is there a way to make MacGuffin points with a short description of what's going on to hand the players when they get there to divide the data you're trying to hand them into shorter bite-sized chunks? Shorter chunks are easier to digest. I'm already handing them out various things. I actually created uh, weapon cards. I actually created something called the football. It's a secure pouch that the team leader wears. They put the uh, crystal key in. It's okay. made out of Kevlar and chain. If it hangs over the heart, it'll stop uh, 44 rounds. Mm. I gave him the football card. I didn't give him a card for the crystal key. I need to give him a crystal key card. Mm-hmm. And it gives the hints in the crystal key card. Had any of your players played Savage Worlds before? Oh, yeah. It's our default go-to game. Okay, well, at least you had that going for you. Nobody at my table had played Savage Worlds before. Ah. Oh. I had one guy who had played... Uh, French worthy a long time ago. One guy out of all my my demos. Now the one cool thing about French worthy when you run into a demo, and I, th- I think you'll find this when you go Dragonflight. Don't worry about explaining Savage Worlds to people. Just give them the utmost basics. These are the skills you need. Those are the dice you roll when you do it. Don't worry about the rest. We'll get to it when it happens to you. Yep. When when you want to do something, I'll tell you what you need to do because it's that simple. Oh, well, I start with a conflict. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's yeah. and that's how I explain it to him. I explain yeah. it to him. Look, I'm not going to explain the system to you because it's that simple. Yeah, we will. You will learn it as you go. Oh yeah, and I've done that before. I've, I actually run the Service Roll Bureau 13. Didn't need to explain anything other than oh yeah, when you roll your skill, you roll you roll your skill die plus a d6. That's your wild die. I find it's easier for me to learn a new system that way in yeah. play rather than yeah. smashing my forehead on the book all the time. Yeah. Especially for new people. Yep. Uh, also, besides background rules, system rules are another thing that you'll just end up with overload, and it will turn people off. People go for the games they've played before, or that's why you know you'll have D and D tables chocked full constantly because they don't have to learn D and D at all. They don't even really have to learn the setting all that much. You just say you know you're in a castle and this is what's happening, and they just run the adventure. Yep. Um, but but with this, you know, you're you're battling uphill both ways because people have heard of Fringe Worthy, but it's not that many. And then you've got Savage Worlds, which isn't quite as popular as I thought, because like I said, nobody at my table had ever played it. But they loved it. I mean, it, they thought it was awesome. You end up selling two games there. I'm actually running Roach Motel, which a game I've updated from the old days. I'm running it in uh, Savage Worlds for the first time, so that's going to be an adventure. But I already know that game, and I know where all its breakpoints are. I've run it so many times. The only thing that I was thinking of that might be a little tough for people and might make things a little easier, I like your names. They're very authentic, but they're hard to remember. 
you know, it's hard to remember who's who because they all have like Leviticus, Ostentatious, or whatever. You know, <laughs> I'm just making that up. I know that's not in there, yeah. but they, Leviticus, they Ostentatious, boy, there might be an adventure right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, a guy might say, "Who is the guy we're supposed to talk to?" Leviticus. No, no, no. His name was um, uh, uh, Parasyphocles, or maybe you might want to pick some names that people can remember easier and make them authentic Roman names. But but you know, be a little cheesy. Use ones that people might remember, well, like Augustus. I chose Titus, Gaius, Flavius. Trouble is, there's three Gaiuses, so you know, there's a, that little problem. But uh, That could be a problem. But then again, that's, um, that's realistic, too, for Romans. There's realism, and then there's cons. Ah, but I, I did choose one memorable name for one person, though, so they had no problem remembering his name. Perhaps uh, three-by-five NPC cards as well as item cards so that people can remember oh. the names. Let's go talk to this guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that, help, that helps me remember. That's good. That's no, that good. that would be an actually a great idea, you know, oh. right, and, and who that person is. Well, actually, I came up with a mission brief on this one, and they followed that mission brief exactly, which is why they went diplomacy instead of caper. Uh, it was basically, hey, this is the first time they've been the, the Pax Romana, so it's a scout the world, get information. That's number one. Number two, find a fringe-worthy, if at all possible. If they find a fringe-worthy... See if he's worthy of contact, and maybe uh, as a local contact for this world. You gave them a mission briefing, and then you expected them not to follow it? Go figure. <laughs> he's he's been a GM for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so they have this big list of checkpoints. Okay, check out the world, find the fringe-worthy, assess the fringe-worthy, contact the fringe-worthy, that kind of thing that they're supposed to do during this game. Yep, uh, assess the local government, make contact with the government if advisable. And come back home safely. That was the last one. <laughs> okay. You know, there, there actually was some different goals in there, but also gave them the extra goal of retrieving the uh, MacGuffin that was taken from them. Okay, so right when they walk in, the MacGuffin is taken from them? Pretty dang much. This was their second time to Petromana. The first one was a quick in and out, check for things, and, and then leave. Then the second one was, was the more in-depth adventure. But it's all the mission briefing. They had two. There was two missions. This is mission number two to the same world. So you you had a background yeah. that they, they had to read, and then they were supposed to act based upon the new mission briefing based on their previous adventure, yeah. and also all the things that had in your narrative had already happened to put them in their per- current predicament. Oh, it was all written down. It sounded like maybe you just needed to simplify a lot more, bold the things that were important about what happened. It just sounded like they, they didn't have enough focus on what it was they were trying to do, or they they thought that they had too many things to do. And so you couldn't get it done in the four hours. Your mission has to be complete in those four hours, at least a part of it, the, the, the significant part that you're putting to them. Otherwise, they're going to leave the session feeling uh, unsatisfied, yeah. you know, like they've wasted their time. Yeah. So you notice when we ran the demo for you guys, there were a lot more to do on that island world. Mm-hmm. But what I was trying to get you to was getting a good relationship with the priesthood. And, you know, once you did that, once you basically got the buy-in, then that was where I terminated the session because that was the feel-good point for everybody. The real goal of this one is actually getting the good graces of the Roman Empire. I mean, this is first contact with the Roman Empire. So, yeah, you basically want this to be a good good contact with them. Yeah, yeah but if they make good contact with, with the Romans yeah. and lose the key, they're going to have good PR with the Romans and bad PR with Unida. 
Yeah, there's that. Uh, I wasn't too worried about them losing the key because they only used it once, and once they used it, they put it away and kept it hidden. They didn't drag it out and go, eh, 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 eh. no, they didn't do that, no. <clears throat> you know, wander around the streets going, are you fringe-worthy? Are you fringe-worthy? No, they didn't do that. that. I'm thankful for that. Well, with the key, you can do it with your hand in your pocket. Yeah. You don't actually have to hold it in your hand. Yeah. Because it gives you that feeling of, of a hot potato, cold potato. But talking to them, they actually all enjoyed it, though. I mean, they all enjoyed the scenario. They actually felt like they actually got something accomplished. Here's an idea for a prop. I should take my own advice and make this, but it would be just so cool to have a key on top of a light box. And because all they really are are just, you know, four sided dice, and you can buy them really big and just put that in the middle of the table. And then they're going along the adventure and they actually start talking to somebody. They're walking down the street and just turn a dial somewhere and, auto, and, they, and it starts lighting up. And just let the people in the table just go, hey, wait a second, this thing's lighting up. What, what does that mean? Wait, wait. That means, you know, it's just something that you do on the sly. Unfortunately, the key spent most of the time in the football pouch. I know that. It's a dramatic thing that you can put on your table that you can use to enhance your game session. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Have we talked enough about the okay. plot points in this scenario? Yeah, I think so. Well, the other complaint was the characters themselves were, even though they were 20-point characters in Sarah's roles, they considered them to be incompetent for the mission at hand. Ah, uh, spoiled brats. Were they, John? Based upon the task you were asking them to do, what was their chances of success? Pretty good. There's one person who was an ace combat driver. She's a team leader. She also was a martial artist, so combat was, like, no problem for her. There was a face person. In Sarah's Worlds, she was D8 plus 2 on her persuasion rolls, which in Sarah's Worlds is like, okay, you're going to succeed most times, and you can, you can get a raise most times when you do some try to persuade someone. So she was a face person. Uh, there was other combat people. There was people who have uh, various knowledge. Basically, the team, they were individuals, but they had their own abilities that I made sure were, were addressed in the scenario. Everyone got a chance to have face time. It reminds me of times when I ran Hero System Champions. There's a kind of point inflation. You know, there's a point where you run a, just a Joe Blow with a high strength, and he's helpless because everybody else is running human maximum decks and con and everything else. And people used to that style of gaming, that kind of uh, high-powered gaming, as it were, will find characters uh, with with a different context to be underpowered for their style of gaming. And yeah. I really don't know what to do about that. These players, or at least one of them, takes part role-playing games and points out their flaws. So he's actually a little bit extra hypercritical. The other two were a bit like that. One of them was coming off a 24-hour shift, so he was a little bit out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to have con gamers going to be coming off a 24-hour shift. Three days into a convention, most of these people have only gotten four hours of sleep. I don't think there's any way to really spin a scenario at a con because you're aiming at an unknown target. You don't know what style of gaming any given player is going to run up to your table with. So there's no way to really spin the scenario in such a way as to assuage any one person's complaint about the style of it. Because Yeah, yeah, usually when you run a, a game at a con, it is. It's whoever walks up to the table, you hand them a character... You got to go with it. Now, when I ran my game recently at BDP SummerCon, 
the three people who played in the game were all in my Saturday group. One of them was my daughter. I was pretty sure how they role played. So, and even one of them helped, you know, he wanted the characters, so he gave me the description. I was lucky in that regard. I knew how they played. I knew how they, their, their styles of doing things. And it went along fine. But 99 times out of 100, when you're running a game at a con, luck of the draw. I think potluck is a good description. Your players and you are having to learn each other's styles and yep. having to learn. Basic. I'm in a new world, and halfway, I'm with a bunch of strangers. So yeah. Now, if I'm lucky, I actually may get some of my uh, Barrel Thirteen players showing up who actually know the French where they know the no Trek games. If I get some of those folks showing up because they, they always play my Barrel Thirteen games, showing up for the French where game, uh, I may actually luck out and have people who actually know how know what the background is, and then I only have to explain it to like one person. Instead, to try to explain to the entire table. You really want to get new people. That's kind of the point. That's um, that's true too. Yeah, I yeah. actually would love to actually have new people who come out and go, "What's this fringe really thing? Is it like sliders?" And it's like, "Oh, sliders maybe," but uh, or if they say Stargate, I'm going. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, it, honestly, here, here's the thing. You know, I, I know we try not to mention that or talk about that too much for obvious reasons, but. Yeah. The, the point of the matter is is that when you're at a convention, you've got to get across an idea. You know, you've got to get this meme into the people immediately. That is an immediate visual that they get. They haven't seen sliders and they're old enough. You could say Voyagers or... Time Tunnel. Time Tunnel, right, right. You could just you pick something in, in the pop culture that they can, they can easily attach to, and then your explanation is, is, is minimal. Yeah. Because you say it's like this, right. only with this minor right. tweak. Right. You want immediate buy-in. You could have helped direct this if you would have mentioned that this was going to be uh, combat-heavy or it was going to be a diplomacy-heavy or role-playing-heavy adventure in the actual game description. They would have at least looked at it once. But if they thought that they were coming for a combat adventure and you run them in a diplomacy, it doesn't matter how well you run it, they're going to hate it. Actually, actually, third pitched in the combat heavy, it's the players who decided to take a diplomacy route. I gave them the opening, and they said, nope, don't want to do that. And, okay, at that point, going, oh, thank you. Now I have to now dance now for the next uh, hour and a half to get, you, to, to get the adventure finished because they didn't take the bait. <laughs> That's part of the adventure design, John, right? Three different ways of, of getting to your destination. So if they issue the one that's the most obvious, you've got two more tries. No scenario you've written in your game ever goes to waste. You just simply have to bend it a little bit and make it fit in a new setting. And that's what I did. I had a scenario all set up. Uh, and I basically said, okay, I can't run it where I was supposed to run it, but I'll run it over here instead. And I just had to make some appropriate adjustments for that scenario. As I said, when I ran my game, I gave them hints on what they found on the alt platform they were on, and they came up with their own scenario. I ended up running a six-hour game because I had to pull a scenario out of the ether when they said, hey, let's go to this portal. Um, it was the alt platform where all, um, El Dorado is cohabited by the Spanish and the Indians and the Swiss are the, the invaders. They wanted to go get gold from El Dorado, and I had to come up with a scenario in like 15 minutes' time. I was thankful for a break. So I had to think on my feet with that yeah. because all of a sudden uh, Rick, DJ, and Shelly just pulled this out of the ether. I'm like thinking, you know, I had the outward appearance of, okay, that's good. They're being proactive. And I'm sitting there inside going, oh, crap. <laughs> dance, yeah. game master, dance. 
I realized my intro to the caper was wrong. I was forcing it on them instead of letting let them choose it, which is how I'm going to have to change it now. I'll let them, I'm going to let them choose to do a caper rather than me force a caper on them. Yeah, because you get into railroading then, and no yeah. player likes that. Even a first-time player knows when they're being led by the nose ring. Just no. Yeah. I got pretty lucky online in that. They were on a very specific mission. They already had some knowledge going into this, and they had a contact on the inside that was going to help them move the adventure along. But I still, every time that they had to do something, you know, I didn't have the contact saying, okay, now this is what we're going to go, and this is what we're going to do. It was, you know, this is the intel you have. What do you want to do? And basically, there wasn't a whole lot of direction they could go in, uh, but they didn't feel like they were boxed in. It was very clear what the smartest thing to do was. Well, thank you once again for joining us for the Fringeworthy Podcast. We hope that the tips and tricks and those sins and errors of the past will help you make better adventures, help you really learn how to excite players that you're introducing to the game for the first time, and also keep the interest of your longtime players as well. So until next week, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Now, you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold Emmy for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey, now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But But no no changeling. changeling. Hey! 
Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play.